I'm Aubrey Henderson. I'm a recovering people pleaser turned self-worth coach, here to help you befriend your inner critic, break up with people pleasing, and reconnect with your desire. Every week, I share my answers to your questions, live coaching sessions, interviews, and more to help you reconnect with your self-worth. Have you ever felt stuck in your life and just needed a really fucking good pep talk? Well, babe, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey babes, welcome to this week's episode. This week I'm excited to share something a little bit different with you. So recently I was interviewed for my friend Karen Maloney's podcast. It's called the Curiosity and Consciousness Podcast. And she and I had an awesome conversation about some of the things I've talked about here, some I haven't. Um, So we talked a lot about people-pleasing, we talked a little bit about codependency, we talked about inner critic, and it was a great conversation. So I wanted to share that with you here today. So um, give it a listen, and if you like what you hear, please be sure to check out Karen and her podcast. Again, it's called the Curiosity and Consciousness Podcast, and you can find it mostly in the same places you can find mine. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, everybody, and thanks again for tuning in for another episode. I have the wonderful Aubrey Henderson joining me today. So first of all, welcome and thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me. You are a self-worth coach. So I love that. And I'm so excited to delve into all things self-worth and talking about your journey and your work. But first of all, maybe tell us a little bit or what is your definition of self-worth? Yeah. So I really think of self-worth as a really big umbrella term that kind of encapsulates all of the ways that we think about and feel about ourselves and how we move through the world. And so when I say that I'm a self-worth coach, I, you know, work with people, not just folks who are, you know, coming to me saying, Hey, Aubrey, I need some help working on my self-worth. It often looks like much more specific things under that umbrella. So mm-hmm. You know, I need help with a career transition that I'm in and really, you know, understanding what it is that I deeply want in my career and where I find meaning and fulfillment. Sometimes it looks like I'm healing from a breakup and I don't know how to be in the world as somebody who's single anymore and I need some help with that. Or sometimes it looks like I'm in a really toxic work situation and I need help, you know, kind of figuring out my next steps in negotiating something better for myself or, you know, getting out of that. And so it's really supporting folks in basically anything under this broad self-worth umbrella of how we, how we think about ourselves, how we feel about ourselves and how we can really strengthen that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. That's amazing. And I love that you even mentioned some of those topics like, you know, career transition or a toxic relationship at work or, you know, healing from a breakup because, Again, we often don't associate those with maybe underlying self-worth issues. We just look at the external or the other people. So that's super important as well. And I love that you mentioned that. And I'm sure we'll delve into it more throughout the conversation as well. But what what led you, I suppose, to your work as well? Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's kind of the why. There's two parts to this answer. So there's the why self-worth answer in terms of my coaching and where I focus in my coaching. And then there's kind of the answer that is more about me and my journey. So Mm -hmm. for me with, with self-worth as my coaching focus, I actually, when I started out as a coach, I focused on 
time management and organization. That was kind of where I really, you know, marketed myself, where I knew, you know, I, I thought of myself as a very organized person, still do, you know, very <laughs> on top of it. And so I was like, yes, definitely I can support people with this. And so I started working with clients who would come to me saying, you know, I'm really struggling to manage my time. I'm really, you know, I want to get my business up and running, but I'm just so disorganized. I, you know, want to focus on this project and see it through to the end, but I'm just really having trouble following through and I need accountability. And so I would work with folks on this. We would, you know, folks would be really excited to dig into, you know, getting organized, having someone to hold them accountable. But as you know, the coaching process for me is really about peeling back layers of, you know, what someone's working on and what is really underneath that for them. And so mm -hmm. as I started doing that with folks, the issue wasn't really about, you know, I'm struggling with time management. The challenge was, I don't know what I prioritize. I don't know what matters to me. I have no sense of what's important to me because I'm so focused on what's important to everyone around me. Mm -hmm. Or the challenge wasn't, you know, I'm having trouble getting started and scaling my small business. It was, I don't actually believe I'm deserving of being a person who would run a small business. It was underneath all of these challenges that, that express themselves certainly in being disorganized and struggling with your time management, not being able to kind of see projects through to the end. What's really underneath that for a lot of folks were these issues of, of deep self-worth, of believing that what we want and what we need is important and matters. And so mm -hmm. that was what I was coming back to all of the time with no exception <laughs> with every client. We were kind of coming to this place of self-worth. And so I decided to sort of shift how I was approaching my work to really focus on that from the beginning and to really, you know, have that be kind of what my coaching focused on from mm. the get-go. And so that's how I came to that in my coaching work. But, you know, in my own life, I, you know, my struggles with self-worth, I mean, I can trace all the way back to childhood growing up as the oldest child of six and being raised by a single parent and really, you know, feeling the sense of, of deriving all of my own self-worth from being like a co-caregiver with my parent of, you know, being an overachiever kind of perfectionist child and into adolescence and young adulthood where I was deriving my self-worth from being successful in the way that other people viewed me. And then into adulthood, seeing in my relationships, how I was then deriving my self-worth from, you know, how I, well I was able to be a caregiver for my partners who were, you know, often struggling with their own kind of challenges with either mental health, with substance abuse, and that kind of is who I was feeling magnetized to. And so that, you know, kind of began my own journey with healing from codependency, you know, struggling with kind of this broader people pleaser way of being in the world and, and recognizing that for myself and, you know, seeing that, it really truly transformed the way that I showed up as a human in the world and the way that I showed up in my relationships when I finally had this realization that my own self-worth, my own sense of self was never derived from within. It always came from outside of me. Mm, yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> super important and I'm smiling as well because I'm just like yep yep you know in my own journey as well and even in my own process with coaching as well and how I've come to you know word myself as an inside out coach because even like that as well I'm like yes. oh man you know I had it so back to front and not to my own fault or that you know it's just we're, we're blind we're all just yeah. kind of blind until we choose to you know do the work and to look within and I love how you mentioned through your own journey as well and working with clients that the presenting problem is never really the problem like that there's always some underlying things within us you know in the first place so how do you help clients to kind of navigate that that journey yeah yeah, that's a, I mean, and that's, I just got to say, that's such a great, I love the term inside out coach. And I love this idea of, you know, what, you know, what clients are coming to us with are challenges that are often external. There are things mm-hmm. that are in their world that are causing them pain or discomfort or things that they want to change. And so much of the work, and I think why folks come to a coach often for support is because so much of that work is self-reflective. We know mm-hmm. that, you know, we can see what the what the problems are, the challenges that are occurring externally to us, but needing some support and someone to kind of like guide you in that inner self-reflection to really see what what the root and the source of a lot of those things are and to focus also on what we as individuals can control, right? Which is ourselves yeah. only. And so um <laughs> yep. <laughs> which is its whole own other thing, an entire other podcast, I'm sure. But, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, when I work with clients, a lot of what I do is really, you know, when folks come to me and right now it's, you know, I'm in a space where folks will come to me again with anything under this umbrella of, of a challenge with self-worth. And it's really, you know, I'm struggling in this particular situation. And if they're coming to me, there is, there's usually some level of, self-awareness of like, Mm. there's a, there's a root issue here of self-worth, right? But not always, I mean, if someone's again, coming to a coach for support, there is, they need some help kind of untangling the story of where that's coming from. And so when I'm working with clients, so much of of what we dig into, and like, I, I like the layers of an onion analogy, because it is just kind of continuing together to peel back layers of you know, this is what's showing up for you in your life around you. But if we peel back the layers, what is the story you're telling yourself Mm -hmm. underneath this, right? What is, you know, when we think about people pleasing behavior, for example, you know, so a a people pleaser is basically, my definition would be anybody who is kind of overly preoccupied or primarily focused on keeping the, the people around them comfortable or pleased or having a positive regard toward them. And so- you know, when you're moving through the world in that way, there is one, it can be problematic because you're not focusing on what you actually want, what you actually need. There's the over-focus on other people. There's also the deep attachment to other people's approval that is totally variable. We can't control whether other people approve of us as much as we want to believe that we can. And so that means that our sense of worth is, is highly volatile. It's like, (laughs) it is not in our control whatsoever. And so people experience a lot of pain with that. And when they come to me and we're beginning to unpack that, a question that I will get to with clients that is is one that often is really illuminating is, okay, let's say that I told you tomorrow you can no longer engage in whatever this people-pleasing behavior is. You have to quit cold turkey, which is not 
a way that I approach this with my clients, just to be clear. But if I told you, (laughs) imagine I said, you just can't do it anymore. You can't do these things anymore. What are you afraid will happen? If Mm -hmm. you, what are you afraid will happen if you stop people pleasing? If you stop seeking the approval of others, if you stop altering yourself or editing yourself to show up in a way that you think others want you to show up in your life, what are you afraid will happen? And there's a fear underneath that for people. Mm. And often, I think many things, most things, especially as it, as it relates to self-worth, the fear is of rejection. It's the fear is that somebody will reject me. Somebody will n- decide that they don't want me if I'm not useful to them. So I'm showing up as a people pleaser to prove my utility, to prove my worth in someone else's life because I don't trust that they'll see it if I'm not actively doing things for them all the time. And so a lot of it is helping clients to see what their particular story is around that fear. I think for a lot of people, it is rooted in rejection, but it's unique for everyone. There's kind of this, there's a narrative you're telling yourself. And that's often where that, where, you know, the inner critic voice really comes in. There's a, there's a murmur of a story underneath that's reminding you, you know, oh, if you don't show up in this way, then this might happen, or here's the worst case scenario, or, you know, that reminds you of why it's reinforcing this behavior. And so if you're hoping to change the behavior, you have to also change the story underneath. Yeah, totally love that. Um, Them stories we tell ourselves. (laughs) Uh And again, you know, it's always that aspect as well of, that self-compassion because you know we don't know what we don't know and like that when we've been operating in such a way for such a long time thinking that oh if I put like the people pleasing that you're talking about if I put everyone and everything before me you know that's good that means I'm a good person that means I'm you know fulfilling my role but actually and I think that's where her to the biggest mindset shift as well comes in for people because they think but what's wrong with that like you know Mm -hmm. it's 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 like selfless of me and if I put myself first or say no to somebody else because I need some me time, you know, that's really selfish of me. So how mm. do you help people to kind of see that expansion or to see that shift as well that no, it's actually really beneficial? Yeah, one of my favorite things about this work is that I, I have a belief about people pleasing behavior that will like that like shocks some of my clients and that like some of my clients will initially kind of be taken, taken aback or offended by or feel defensive about. But I actually will assert, especially if, you know, and I I think it makes sense, right? We, we tell ourselves, it's another story we tell ourselves to kind of support or reinforce our own behavior is that like, well, I'm doing this selflessly. I'm doing Mm -hmm. this to be caring. I'm doing this because I'm a, I'm a good nurturing person and especially, you know, there's even more kind of complexity to that around gender. And, if, you know, if you're a person who identifies as a woman, this is how women are supposed to be and all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And what I actually believe is that if we kind of dig down into the root of people-pleasing and why we show up in the world with this people-pleasing behavior, it's actually highly selfish and highly manipulative. And... As you can imagine, people are like, what the hell? Like, that's a really messed up thing to say. Like, no, like, I'm not trying to manipulate people. And do I believe it's always a conscious manipulation or consciously selfish? Absolutely not. Mm. But really, people-pleasing behavior is a way that we've learned to get our emotional needs met. People-pleasing behavior is, and I 
I'm a believer that pretty much all of our behavior in adulthood, all of our patterns, all of our habits are ways that we've learned since childhood to get our needs met in the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of how I make a a case for self-compassion when you're thinking about, you know, a habit you want to break. If you're, you know, there are people who come to me and think of people pleasing as like, oh my God, I'm so pathetic. I can't believe I'm doing this. And I'll stop someone right there and say, listen, the part of you that is doing this behavior is an inner child element of you. This is something you learned probably when you were a kid to be able to get your needs met. You learned, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I learned that being the helpful kid was what earned me love. And not because anyone was consciously trying to teach me that. I, you know, like I have a wonderful relationship with my mom and yet I look back on my childhood and I realize that there are ways that it was subtly reinforced to me that being helpful earned me love. Being responsible earned me love. Caring for other people earned me love. And so now in adulthood, I'm carrying out that pattern still. I'm, you know, if I'm a people pleaser, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm editing myself in different settings because keeping other people happy and comfortable earns me love. Mm-hmm. You know, doing things that I think will make other people happy, I'm doing it for an outcome, whether consciously or not. And yeah. so, you know, when somebody tells me, oh, this is, but this is a selfless thing that I do. Well, it's not. And also if it's, if you're experiencing pain or if you're experiencing discomfort, if this is a habit you've identified as something you want to stop doing, then it's not working out for you. If you'd like to change it, something's not working. And it's also really common for folks who are engaging in this sort of people pleasing or codependent behavior to build up resentment as a result Mm. of that. There is, there's anger that we feel in that as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's so true. And I love what you say, you know, we are all just meeting needs at the end of the day, every single thing that we do, because we're human, we have needs, we need to meet Mm -hmm. them. But again, we're often unconscious, like you say, in how we're actually meeting them. And, you know, we can meet them in positive, negative or neutral ways. But like that, there's there's effects to all of them. So that's why it's so well, it's so magic for me. And I'm sure for you as well, when you can help someone on that process to just kind of open their mind and expand and kind of get a different perspective. And it's just like, oh, wow. Um, But another aspect of your work as well that I love and, you know, that's hugely important as well as you talk about befriending your inner critic. So let's talk to that a little bit, because, you know, we all have it. We all have that voice that really wants to tear strips off us at times. But the importance of befriending it and knowing that it's actually not our truth. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the thing with the inner critic is like, you know, we all like you said, we all have this. I think we, you know, sometimes have different names for it. We have different views of it. I know people that like literally name their inner critic like Mm. a name. But it's, you know, it's that voice that's telling you those bubbling up stories underneath what's going on for you, whatever those stories are. It's that voice that's repeating that to you over and over. And, you know, often our inner critic, we call it a critic for a reason. It's it's often really mean. It's these negative stories. And so I have had clients come to me before and ask me basically like, OK, so, you know, I saw that you do work around inner critic. Um, yeah, I just need to, like, get rid of my inner critic. Like, I just fully need to get rid of it. Like, it's not serving me. So, like, how do we eliminate it? And what I tell that client is something that I think surprises them, which is like, okay, so we're not, we're actually not going to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. I, and I don't think we should. And here's why. 
because for me, the inner critic serves a function and serves a purpose. The inner critic, I basically view it as a part of you that has experienced pain or has experienced some kind of wound in your life. Again, often I think a lot of a lot of our shit as adults comes from childhood. So mm-hmm. I often think the inner critic is likely a child or young adult version of you. So mine, for example, is 13-year-old me. Mm-hmm. And it is a self-protective measure, yeah. the inner critic. It's something that is it's misguided to be sure. And the things that it's sharing are not often kind, are not always helpful, are not things that we need to just accept as truth, but they are coming from a place where it is a wounded part of us that is trying to protect us from being hurt again. Mm -hmm. And so the way to kind of illustrate this, I'll use myself as an example, is that my inner critic is a 13-year-old version of me who was told by a significant other that I was too needy. And I felt embarrassed hurt, ashamed, all of the negative feelings about that. Mm -hmm. And be also being that age to not have the coping tools around that, that is a wound for me that I carry with me into adulthood. And so when my inner critic starts speaking to me, it's often around my relationships. And it's often this voice that's saying like, Oh, like, don't be too needy. Don't be too like you're being clingy. You are like, you're being over the top. You need to stop it right now. Like they are, they're going to think you're weird. Like stop doing this. Stop showing them that you care about them. Like you're being too much and often in a meaner, angrier, more aggressive than that. But, but that's the message, right? And it's what it's doing is it's saying, oh, we've experienced rejection here before. We're approaching a place where pain has come up. And so to try to discourage you from approaching that place, we're going to try to smack you back. And I think the useful way to approach that is not by just letting it be there and kind of speak that lie into existence. It's not to just ignore it and pretend it's not there and try to suppress it, even though it's going to continue to be there. But it's actually to meet that part of yourself with compassion. Mm -hmm. and to meet that part of yourself actually with, and an exercise I have clients do that I use all the time myself, but some people will look at me like I am absolutely nuts when I suggest this, is to have an actual out loud conversation with your inner critic when those voices come up, to Mm -hmm. actually speak to it in response. So to not let that voice just be playing on a loop in your head, but that the next time your inner critic says, oh, that person thinks you're needy, like they're going to reject you immediately for your response to not just be to ignore it, not to accept it, but to say, that's, wow, that's really harsh. Literally, the thing I ask my inner critic all the time is what data do you have to support that Mm -hmm. assertion? You know, like what, like, okay, back it up then. If you, you know, if this is what we believe, then like, what is the data that's informing that? Often there isn't any, it's not a data informed. Yeah. but to have that, to have that conversation, to make mm-hmm. it a conversation that it's, you're speaking into that part of yourself in the same way that like, you know, you would interact with a family member who was, you know, maybe saying something a little overly critical to you. Hopefully your response would not be just to accept it. And maybe it is. And that's another piece of this work. <laughs> right. But to be able to have a conversation, even if that's just to say like, that's hurtful or that doesn't feel true but to respond in some way. 
Yeah, the inner critic and I agree as well. You know, it's always going to be part there, but I love, especially when you say befriended, because like that, when I, when my voice comes up, and like you say, it is really that self-protection, you know, that, that old story or that old way of being. And sometimes when I engage and catch it, I'm just like, oh yeah, thanks for showing me who I no longer am or how much I've grown or who I've, I've become. I'm like, yes. I don't need to listen anymore, but thank you. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um. It's useful. So that's why I love the word befriending as well. Yeah. <laughs> because there's information to be gained all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting. I, it makes me think of, you know, as someone who practices meditation for a long time, I struggled with it because I, I was like, you know, I, I can't wipe my mind completely blank. I don't know how. So maybe I'm just bad at meditation. When in reality, the practice is more about being able to notice when thoughts come and go without attachment without mm -hmm. judgment. Yeah. And this is such a similar concept. I think it's yeah. very much, you know, my responses to my inner critic are often to argue because that's just kind of my, my inner critic is angry and I get angry in response. But for some folks that the response might be, you know, thanks for sharing that or like, okay, great noted. Like the way you might respond to somebody who is speaking negativity and you're like, okay, great. Like, sure. That's your opinion and you can have that opinion and just, you know, to, ex to experience it in a way that's not denying its existence or mm -hmm. trying to erase it completely, but approaching it as a conversation, approaching it as, you know, you, you have the power to speak back into that in some way. Yeah. And sometimes just called BS on totally what they're saying. They're like, nah. <laughs> Uh -uh. that's no longer valid exactly, exactly. <laughs> we all we all have that friend who's who says something and we're kind of like um I'm not I'm not really sure that that's <laughs> actually a thing yeah I love it but another aspect then as well that I think is super important and again that we all have tendencies towards is codependency and for me codependency even can show up in any way as in if we become overly codependent on something that's seemingly beneficial whether exercise and we're using it as a crutch well then it's mm. no longer a healthy relationship for want of a better word so mm. how do you help people to again it's finding that that balance within ourselves and that you know reliance on ourselves as well and kind of knowing we have our own back which for me you know is a lot of my work which is your work as well that comes back to that self-worth that realizing well I am worth it and you know I do need to have my own back throughout life and in every situation because if I don't have my back like you say you know nobody else is guaranteed to and it's not their job to give that to us so how do you help people like that to become more not independent but more self-reliant or self-sustainable as well absolutely and I think so I think your question also actually gets at two things, which is there is kind of the concept of, and I think folks use these terms interchangeably a lot, but there's the, there's the concept of like dependency, which you're talking about, like, you know, re overly relying on something outside of yourself, whether that's another person, whether that's exercise, whether that's, you know, a hobby or something that you're kind of like sourcing things from outside of you. And then there's codependency, which is a, the terminology is really around, um, this need to be needed, which comes up a lot in mm -hmm. my work in working with folks who identify as people pleasers, who struggle with their own self-worth is there's this 
there's this sourcing your own value from how much someone else needs you. And Mm -hmm. so I definitely work in both of those realms with clients, right? I think with the, with the codependency piece or the need to be needed, there's a lot of, you know, there's the ways that folks are showing up as, you know, I'm sourcing all of my worth from how much this person needs me in order to survive. And in that way, this is how folks end up kind of enabling their loved ones who are struggling with addiction or who are struggling with mental illness because they're sort of feeding into something that that keeps that person attached to them or keeps that person reliant on them in a way that is detrimental to that person and is also detrimental to you as the codependent when you know you're in a relationship where you're you're only getting your value from that person needing you or needing mm-hmm. to keep you around and so there's with codependence there's often this underlying fear of like if this person doesn't need me will they want me mm-hmm. and that is definitely an area that I that I work a ton with folks in. And then I think around broad, more broadly, the concept of dependence. I think the broad theme of my work is really about, you know, when we think about self-worth, you can source your self-worth from things external to you, whether that's exercise, whether that's, you know, your appearance and what other people think of you, whether that's your you know, romantic relationships, whether that's how your parents feel about you, whether it's your job, you can source your worth from outside of you, or you can source it from within. And when people are sourcing it from things outside of themselves, whether that's, and, you know, becoming overly dependent upon those things, because of course you're going to feel dependent on it when you're gaining all your self-worth from it, then it's, you know, it, that becomes the problem with that is that One, where is the inherent kind of anchoring sense of self-worth that keeps you steady and Mm -hmm. that is like, like you're saying, having your own back. And also that, you know, like I mentioned before, anytime you're relying on something outside of yourself to validate your worth, you're going to be on shaky ground because all you have control over is you ever. And we can, we can kind of trick ourselves into believing like, oh, well, if I can keep this person happy, then you know, they will continue to validate me. And so like that's stable and that's steady. And the reality is that like even things that feel good and steady and positive, and that's not me saying, you know, everything's uncertain and is going to fall apart, but that's just me saying there is always some variability Mm -hmm. in things outside of ourselves. But if I have a strong sense of self-worth that comes from within, that is me knowing what I want, what I deserve, what I need and knowing how to get those needs met within myself and without other people having to approve of me to be worth something, then that's unshakable. Yeah. And it really is unshakable. And, you know, that's why for me as well, it's such vital work because we often wait for crisis or drama and again not intentionally I can even say in my own case when I went through a really traumatic breakup and literally lost all of my possessions as well like everything Mm. I owned disappeared overnight he sent me an email never heard from him again and but the worst thing I lost at that time as well was my sense of self And it was from Mm. then as well that I was like, shit, it's like that saying as well. It's like sometimes you have to lose what you value to realize your worth doesn't live there. And it was a total, I can't remember who said that, but that was a total game changer for me as well. That whole episode, because I totally learned. I was like, oh, yeah, 
anything can go from outside of me on the external. Actually, none of it is stable. And again, that's not living in fear. That's like, oh, yeah, that's just a total acceptance. And then coming from the inside out going, but yeah, I can get this stability. I can find this stillness, this peace, this calm within me, no matter what is happening on the outside. So I just love what you said. And yes, it's true. Like anytime we're looking for anything outside of ourselves for that validation or sense of self-worth it, it's just not going to work out in the long run kind of thing and there's nothing wrong with having things on the outside absolutely no problem dream big go for it but again it's yeah. when we attach our identity and who we are and like you're saying our self-worth to that well it's completely shakeable because it could disappear in an instant yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. love that but then I suppose boundaries probably comes into it as well and healthy boundaries helping people to create healthy boundaries when they start this kind of internal work and this internal reflection and kind of gaining all these insights and wisdoms and really want to make shifts in their lives and how they've been operating so far it comes with healthy boundaries as well and being able to like you say express when we need to express but also something you mentioned earlier, you know, not being afraid if someone doesn't like you or if someone rejects you or because again, it's a part of life. So how do you help people to kind of navigate healthy boundaries or what does it mean to you? This is, and this is like a number one thing that I end up working through with clients is like, this is how this is how this work shows up outside of ourselves, right? Because Mm -hmm. no matter, you know, we can do all of this work around building up your inner self-worth and that all matters and is deeply important. But also at the end of the day, we're still humans who need other people. Mm -hmm. We need to be in relationship with people and that's important and connection matters and navigating that in a new way is really difficult, especially for folks who source a lot of their identity for how they show up for others or how they're valued by others. And so working with folks around boundary setting, around conflict, around you know, authenticity over approval is really kind of the bread and butter of what Mm -hmm. I end up doing with my clients. And so, you know, a lot of the work we do is around increasing our comfort and our tolerance for conflict or for rejection. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, like I mentioned, a lot of folks, the fear underneath why we're, you know, engaging in sort of people pleasing behavior or even codependent behavior is, that we are afraid of being rejected. We are Mm. afraid that, you know, if we aren't, if we show up in a different way, if we assert what it is we really want or what we really need, that someone else will decide that they're going to reject us as a result. And there's two prongs to this. It's really one, it is creating a trust and belief that not everyone is going to reject you Mm -hmm. for asking for what you need. And that it's really instilling the belief and the understanding that by setting boundaries with people, by giving people feedback when they, you know, push against a boundary, what we are really doing is giving someone a gift. You are Mm -hmm. giving them an instruction manual for how to love you well. And having that approach and helping clients to understand that, that, you know, for, for so many people, we associate boundary setting with loss. Yeah. Like we, We think that setting a boundary means we're cutting off a relationship. It means that somebody doesn't have access to us anymore. It means we can't care about them. When in reality, the way that I think about boundaries is that it's a proactive ongoing practice and it's explaining to people 
this is what feels good for me and Mm -hmm. this is what doesn't. And, you know, we don't, when we think about how we are in relationship to other people, it's easy to think about, you know, if you're setting a boundary around yourself and telling someone how to love you well, that that's going to come across in a crappy way. But I have people imagine, you know, imagine someone who you love and who it's really important to you to love them well. Imagine that they just laid it all out for you. Like, this is exactly how I feel really loved and cared about how much of a gift that would be. You're literally giving them instructions. And so it's viewing boundaries as, you know, it's the same way that I kind of like flip people pleasing on its head and say, that's actually like quite selfish, quite manipulative. And boundary setting is not kind of the shitty, mean, cold thing that we we kind of I think collectively as a yeah. culture have framed it to be. They're right? walls, they're walls. I used to have walls and there's a big difference between walls and healthy boundaries. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's uh, There's some saying, and I'm going to butcher it right now, but like there's some saying that like, you know, boundaries aren't aren't walls. It's showing somebody, showing somebody where the door is and like what the conditions are to be able to walk in and out of it. Mm-hmm. It's But don't block it. Know, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I've read the quote as well. You're you're saying there, or, or I've come across it before as well. You know, it's it's that piece of really, you know, knowing that that boundaries are important and that they're an act of compassion, and that not everybody is going to reject you for setting them. And then at the same time, it is normalizing the experience of rejection. Mm-hmm. It's reminding people that rejection is going to happen it's inevitable. And I believe it's inevitable even for the most skilled people pleaser, the person, the most skilled codependent, the person who knows how to show up and make everybody love them because that person may not be rejected by the people around them, but they've already rejected themselves. And so rejection is inevitable and we have the choice to unilaterally kind of reject ourselves, to make edits and changes and smooth over pieces of our personality that, you know, don't jive right with certain people or we think are going to make other people uncomfortable or, you know, make us less palatable and reject ourselves, which is to me the most painful and the most damaging form of rejection that there is. Mm. Or we can accept that rejection is a normal part of being a human in relationship with other humans that it's going to happen and that you will survive it totally and and again it's how we frame it like you know now I look at rejection as redirection as Gabrielle Bernstein says like I'm like oh yeah great if it's a no from someone whether it's a person or whether it's a company or whether it's whatever I'm doing I'm like okay great that's not the right way it's yes. a redirection, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. but again, I used to have major issues and take it so personally, like way back. But when it's like, oh, no, it's beautiful. OK, it's just not meant to be. That's not the right one. And go again. So, yeah, it's totally a part of life and how we internalize it. Like everything is everything. So just time is flying. But before we wrap up as well, I'd just love to touch on the importance of helping people as well to dream big. And to have a why in their life. Yeah, I think this is something that comes up in my work. And for whatever reason, I was telling someone earlier today, for whatever reason right now, I am doing a ton of coaching around career transition. Mm. And I, you know, I think there's probably lots of reasons for that, whether it's job changes in the midst of a pandemic, whether it's like people really kind of getting reoriented to what is deeply important to them. But there is, there's a lot of conversation that happens around kind of this bigger why. And 
for people who struggle with self-worth, with people pleasing, with any of these things, there's often a disconnection from our intuition and our internal compass of desire and of meaning. There is There are ways that we have, because we have done all this work to show up for other people, to make ourselves palatable to other people, to make sure that everyone around us is okay and is well and is finding meaning in their lives, that we just completely can lose touch with what matters to us. And so a ton of my work is helping folks to reorient to that and to, you know, really get reconnected with what it is that gives them meaning in their life, kind of the broader Mm -hmm. why, but also even in a more simplistic way that I think is just as important, what brings you pleasure in your life, Mm -hmm. what you enjoy, what, you know, what, what it is that you want to be doing, what it is that you want from your life. And really, I think so much of self-worth is rooted in that, in, in knowing what your why is and that your why isn't, you know, for other people to approve of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super important. And, um, you know, again, I think it's something as part of the collective that we're all being asked to do again, you know, to kind of go on a bit of an inward journey, whether you've done it loads before or whether it's a first time, but to really take that bigger perspective and, you know, maybe ask, why am I doing things? And, you know, is this what lights me up? Does this make me happy or bring me pleasure, like you mentioned as well? So I think collectively, we're all kind of been shown a little bit of that. But again, we all have free will choice. We can choose to do it or run the other way. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So many other things I wanted to touch on, but time just always flies when we get stuck into it. So Aubrey, please share your website or where people can find more work. And as always, I will link everything as well to all your to your website and all your social media platforms on the show notes as well. Wonderful. Yeah. So I, you know, the place that I most frequently am hanging out is Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Aubrey. So it's A four H's B R E E. Um, and I also am on Facebook at Aubrey Henderson coaching and my website is aubreyhenderson.com. But again, Instagram is the place that I am most of the time. And then I also host a weekly podcast called ask Aubrey. You can find that mm-hmm. pretty much anywhere podcasts live, but it's, you know, it's a, a nice blend of folks writing in questions that I'm then responding to always kind of around the topic of self-worth. Sometimes it's little mini coaching sessions. Occasionally I'll throw in a guided meditation, but yeah, that comes out every Monday. So you can check me out there as well. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing today, Aubrey, and for doing the work that you do. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a rating or a review, and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one. I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson. And I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty bad. Or you can send a good old fashioned written message 
from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babes.